They have a phrase now to describe it when um, you hear about stories about like a, a vintage vehicle that got left in a somebody you know somewhere in a garage or something, and they find it later and it gets restored and it's worth like a lot of money. They call it a barn find. So, you, and, and that phrase has been expanded to to talk about other things, not not just vehicles, but kind of anything that was stored away somewhere, forgotten. It, it's in some casing that no one would expect it to be there and it's worth a whole lot and they call it a barn find you might have heard about the barn find that happened this last fall um carson city nevada a guy named by the name of walter samasco died 69 years old no immediate family and he lived in a very modest home and he was what they call a hoarder so he had just stuff everywhere and so the the, the city had to come in and, and finally authorities had to come in and clean it out his house. They went to his garage. They found old boxes with all kinds of, like old food and cans and all this kind of stuff. And then they found some coins, gold coins. Seven million dollars worth of gold coins, vintage coins, old, just all kinds of stuff. They're, they're in the process of, uh, right now, the, only part of the auction has happened where um, they get, they're selling this stuff. They found from his mother's funeral back in 1992, they found a list and they tracked down his closest li- living relative, Arlene Magdans, who hardly knows the guy, and she is going to inherit $7 million. Why can't I have a relative like this? You know, my uncle died and they found big boxes of stuff and they opened up the boxes and he had empty pill bottles, like thousands of empty pill bottles. Great, thanks. When they, when they went into Walter's garage and they found the coins, the coins were in several different kinds of containers. Some of them were just, look, they almost threw out because they looked like it was just old wrapped up aluminum foil like you would put an old piece of pizza in. They picked it up to throw it out and it was a little heavier. Some of them were in ammunition boxes. And then a whole bunch of them were in boxes that were marked books. Again, somebody, some relative, would you leave me your books? That's what I'd like. It's a barn find because the treasure is being packaged in something that you never would have expected it in. Today, we're going to look in 2 Corinthians 4 at a phrase that some people, in fact, I've got two, two different books that I have when I'm studying this stuff. Two different books actually have this phrase on the front of the book because it basically they feel like it stands for the entirety of the message of what Paul the Apostle wrote to followers of Jesus about life. And about his message and about how God works. It's found in 2 Corinthians 4. If you've got a Bible, t- take a look with me. That's where we are in, as we're working through this. And I'll just, sh- just we'll, we'll get there, but this is the phrase. It's in, in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7. And it says this We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all surpassing power is from God and not from us. Treasure in, in jars of clay. We're going to see a profound significance behind that. And it's really going to fit in with everything that Paul the Apostle is writing to people who have been led to believe that he's not authoritative because he's not flashy, because he needs to show his credentials, that when God's in something, man, you, you can expect it because people will look good and smell good and do powerful things, and that's how you know God's there. And Paul says, whoa, whoa, whoa. We've got a superior message to that. We've got a better way. Here's how the real God works. 
It's going to come to this phrase and another one in 2 Corinthians 12. that are really the, the benchmarks of the entire thing. Now he says in chap, chapter two, uh, 4, verse 1, Therefore, and if you were here last week, the therefore is bridging what we talked about last week based on something that we saw that he established last time. In chapter 3, he established something. And he's making reference to the whole thing of Exodus 32 to 34 where the Moses and the glory of God and how God was working in the ministry of Moses and the Old Testament law and this whole system and how God's glory would shine in the face of Moses. And Paul says, yeah, everybody who says that that's a great thing, let me tell you what we got is better. That one pales compared to what we've got. What we have is a message as superior. We have the packaging we have is the cross of Jesus Christ, the power of, of his empty tomb. And because of that, so that word therefore means because of what has just been said, there's something that's going to be true. Later on, I'm going to ask you to try to put yourself in this chapter. But in order to do that, just, just hang with me for a minute because there's something that Paul does here that's really kind of cool. This is some of the most brilliant Greek that's ever been written. The most complicated Greek that Paul wrote in is, is found in 2 Corinthians. Very complex writing. And he does some really cool stuff here that sometimes get lost. That I just want you to see real quick. What, he, what he's done, he's taken some words that got used in, the old, in, his, in his former argument in chapter 3. And he talked about the veil of, that Moses covered his face with and how it prevented the glory from being fully exposed. He talked about the glory of God and how that was there in Moses. He talked about the power of God. It, it talked about the face of Moses being exposed and people seeing the glory of God re- reference to his face. And what Paul does is he takes those same words and he weaves them now into say, now watch how that shows up in what we're doing. Look for those words. I'm just going to read the first four or so verses. And look for some of those same references that comes in. He goes, therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we don't lose heart. Rather, we have renounced sa- secret and shameful ways. We don't use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Now watch. And even if our gospel is veiled, same word, it's veiled to people who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. If you're a first century Jew, you understand what he just did was he assigned the glory of God to Jesus Christ. This is one of those strong statements of Jesus being God in the New Testament. It gets missed a lot of times. This would be considered blasphemy to say that phrase. By having the glory of Christ, who he says is the image of God. He is the manifestation of God. He goes on to say in um, verse 6, God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the, here it is, the face of Christ. See all the references he had? All the things you remember about the Old Testament system, they're all represented better there. And in verse 7, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show this all-surpassing power, the power that was there in the, in the, the glory of God, all the pillar of fire and clouds and all the stuff that conquered enemies, all of that, the same word there is that power is from God and not from us. It's an amazing thing he did in his literary devices right there. Okay, that one's no extra charge. Now, the reason he's doing all that is going to hammer something home. Same message that you and I would benefit to hear today. And, th- and that is that this superior power and the glory and the message of God 
in any age. That's a pure message. Here's how God delivers it. He delivers it through weakened, ordinary carriers. In order to heighten the contrast of how powerful he is. To establish the fact that no man creates this. No person can conjure this up. This has nothing to do with human effort. The message that a person can know God, that they can be forgiven, that they can have the power of God move in their life, that they can have eternity given to them, is completely independent from any kind of human uh, skill. And when God delivers it, He makes sure that the human skill is diminished so that it can heighten the glory and the power. Now, He says something else in verse 4 that we need to make a note of. He says, if the God... Verse 3 says, If our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing, and the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they can't see the light of the gospel. Would you just let, let that be for a minute and think about your life? There are people who you desperately want to know God. There are people who are far from God. You pray for them. You try to reach out for them, to them. There are people who you would have, maybe you've invited them to come here with you, and they just don't come, or they, you know, they just... And, there, and there, it is so common for us to say, what, what am I doing wrong? Am I not articulate enough about this? If, am I not creating enough programs to make it work? Am I, am I not praying enough for this? You need to understand something. The problem probably doesn't re- rely on you. There's another factor going on here. There's a battle outside yourself. There is a God of this age who is going into subvert. Because haven't you had this happen? I have. I mean, it took, it took me a while to get to recognize who Jesus was and to, and to believe this stuff. There are people who, but once I did, it was like, oh man, how could, this makes so much sense. It makes so much, how could you not embrace this? How could you not want this in your life? Some people who are such, their life is such a mess and they're so miserable and yet they resist this. You go, wait, what, what am I doing wrong? It may not be you. There are other factors involved in this universe that are having an effect. Blinding the eyes of people. This is a bigger, it's bigger than you. We have a part in it, you have a part, but don't be discouraged. If all your efforts and all your best articulation does not immediately result in somebody else seeing it like you see it. There's another factor going on. All right, now let's go to this whole jars of clay thing. Because there are some profound ramifications to this statement that the treasure of that whole thing is being transported around in clay pots. And that's what he says in verse 4 or 7. We have this treasure in clay pots. Now, clay pots, in the day that this is written, uh, some commentators put it this way, they are the throwaway containers of the ancient world. They're they're easily broken. They were very cheap. They were, that's what you just put stuff in if you didn't have anything else to put it in. It was, somebody said it was the Tupperware. But, you know, sorry if you work for Tupperware. Really, quality, Tupperware is quality, right? Okay. It, somebody else said it's the fast food containers. You want it to go thing, you want that, some of that to go, they bring you this thing, plasticky thing, you put it in there. That's what this was. They were so common, they broke easily. You did not put valuable stuff in that. Nothing that you wanted to protect would you put in something like that. And what Paul is actually going to do, he's going to invoke four different um, types of word pictures here to describe how, how the packaging happens for that. And so he says he's going to use 
to show the contrast. He's, he's going to use the, how royalty is presented by slaves. All right, let's just look at it. In verse, um, let's see, what verse 5. We do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as, and the word is Lord, meaning the high master. The word is often used for royalty. Somebody uh, distinguished, somebody who's important, somebody who owns things. And we preach ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. So he's basically saying, here's the picture, that the master, the royalty, gets announced by the slaves. The contrast is like, yeah, we're all just slaves in the, in the house, but here's the king, here's the Lord. The master is presented by slaves. The, the, the next picture he, he uses is uh, in verse uh, 6. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Here's the next picture. He invokes the creation of the world, where God created ex nihilo, out of nothing. Light did not have anything from which it came. It was just pitch darkness, and, and light suddenly cascaded across the universe. The contrast had to have been fantastic. We're the darkness, he's the light. We're the slave, he's the master, or the Lord, or the king. Then he uses this one. We have this treasure in jars of clay. There's, there's this profound, there's $7 million worth of gold, and it's in boxes called, named books. And the last one is where he says it's like life coming out of death. We were around, when we lived in Los Angeles and some of the, there have been fires again, this brush fires that's, you know, go through. We live right in the foothills. We saw areas that were just completely scorched. And what we were told was, because of how the depth of the scorching, these areas would, would not grow anything for 20 years. We went back five years later, and there were little sprouts. People took pictures of that to show, look, how life can recover. It's out of, the, out of death, life emerges. Out of something that's dying, Paul says, out of something that's always looking like it's about to die, suddenly great life emerges out of it. All of those are contrasts, and all of them are saying the same thing. They're all saying, giving the same picture. What God wants to do in people's life, it's all about His doing. It's all produced by Him. It's found in Him. It is not conjured up by anybody else. It, is not, it has nothing to do with the containers. It's not by human power. If you get God to work in your life, it's not because you impressed him. We are the jars of clay. We are clay pots. We're the throwaway so that the contrast can be shown. Now, here's something to notice about that. And this is significant. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. It's going to come up again. This whole We talked about the weakening that God does in his children, in his followers. There's this perpetual weakening he does. I don't like it. I don't want to talk about it. But he does it. And so we say, okay, he's going to weaken us. All right, we'll try to get used to that. He's going to break us. He's going to break us down. He's going to weaken us as his vessels so that we can get stronger, we say. So that what doesn't kill me makes me stronger, right? But that's not what Paul's going to say. He's going to say, no. The goal of that weakening is not to make us stronger it's not to make you powerful listen to this quote from from uh, one writer author on it It says it's easy to misread what paul says here to interpret that to mean uh, that it's enhancing our power thus we may imagine that as we embrace our weakness see if you see if you think this 
As we embrace our weakness, God will pour his power into us so we become more powerful. The natural equation is my weakness plus God's power equals my power. But that is not what Paul is saying. Rather, he teaches that as we embrace our weakness, God fills us with his power so that his power is manifested through us. We do not become more powerful. We remain weak. We do not grow in power. We grow in weakness. We go from weakness to weakness, which is to remain vessels of his power, ever weak and then ever strong. God does that to create this huge, enormous contrast between everything that's not him and everything that he can do. It's to accentuate his glory and his power and him being the exclusive source of everything that we need in, in the world. Now, in advertising, um, they, there's a, uh, a principle. In fact, there's, a, there's a, uh, one advertising company that's name is Make It Pop Advertising. There's this principle of when you want to highlight something, when you want to present it like in a, in a photograph or an ad, or, or, or a printed ad or whatever, what you want to do is you want to create a, a big contrast so that the stuff around it looks diminished so that you bring attention to the thing you really, really want to see. Sometimes it's done by light and darkness. A lot of times it's done by color. And so you'll see pictures like this where they say, I want to bring attention to one thing so I contrast it with the things around it. Immediately your eye goes to that thing because that thing stands out from the others because of its brightness, because of its color, because of how it's distinct from that. So the principle we can learn from that is very, very simple. If you want to show something for what it really is, here's what you do. First, you show that which is dark, that which is unattractive. (laughs) That which is unappealing. And then you introduce that which stands in contrast and says, now there, that's what we're talking about. (laughs) You make it pop. The contrast is what sets it apart from the other terrible, awful, evil empire stuff. Got it? Okay, now here's what this means for you and for me. And here's what I want to invite you to do is place yourself. In fact, I urge you to do this in cell groups this week. Read, read, I'm going to read this. and I want you to place your, think of your identity when you see the word we or us in this. So this is starting with verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and it's not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body to the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body. For we who are alive and and always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Here's Here's what this can mean for us practically. And when, if you just inserted yourself, perhaps you amount, your, uh, something came to your mind there where you thought about a current difficult circumstance that would qualify for one of those things. Weakness happening. Discouragement happening. 
uncertainty. When that happens, here is what this principle means for people who are following Jesus Christ. When it happens, it means that there is a personal, powerful, intentional, controlled purpose behind your difficult circumstance. That which is that which is weakening you or has weakened you has a purpose behind it. Something is being accomplished through it. The recurring weakness ensures that the that what God does through you pops to the people around you. It shows up in contrast to that. When they when when people see that a person could be have that kind of weakness and still something be different and the God show up in their life and be powerful in their life, it creates such a contrast. You may walk around doing, saying what I say sometimes. If it's not one thing, it's another. Sometimes we feel like, I just can't get out from under this. When is this going to stop? I just need, I need a break. When you're in the middle of that weakening circumstance, Understand that there is an intentional purpose behind it. It's creating the darkened canvas on which the portrait of the power of God and the change of God, the hope of God, will pop to those who observe. Here's something else to how this applies to us. And you may not, I'm I'm not sure how I feel about this either, because sometimes you go, wait, I didn't sign up for this. You know, you get a job and they start giving you other stuff. You go, wait, wait, I I wasn't in the job description. I wasn't supposed to do that. You know, if you volunteer at at school, watch out for that, man. As soon as they see that you're conscientious, they'll just load it on. You go, I I just wanted to pour milk at the mom's, you know, donut thing. Now I'm the chairman of the school board. How did that happen? I... Here's what you signed up for. Now, again, I'm talking to those in the room who've crossed the line. And you have said... I've recognized that my life is, can't be, I, I cannot make life work independent from God, and I need what His provision is. You've crossed the line to say, I've entrusted my sin to Jesus Christ. I've declared myself to be His follower. I've made the exchange with Him. He said He would give me His holy, righteous, standing life with God, and in exchange, He would take my sin and dispense of it through His death on the cross. Okay, I'm talking to you. Now, if you haven't crossed that line, We encourage you to consider it. We want you to think about it. But understand, we're going to tell you what that entails. That exchange means that there's a signing over of your will that says, this life does not belong to me anymore. It's under somebody else's jurisdiction. He can do with it what he wants. He is the Lord of that life. He is the master, the controller. It's his life now. When we sign up for that, it means we've surrendered our rights. And now what he he wants us to do is he wants to present that life as a sacrifice to him. A living sacrifice. In fact, Romans 12 says it this way. Take a look. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, because he's given you this life, offer your bodies as not... This is, this is a different kind of sacrifice. This isn't just go to church and put money in the box. This isn't just do a little bit of stuff. Offer yourself as a living, ongoing sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. This is what you signed up for. I signed up to be consumed. I signed up to be burnt up or poured out. Paul, twice in his letters to to, uh, the churches, says, I am being poured out as a drink offering in front of God. It's what I signed up for. I surrender my rights. 
So we were called to that and we agreed to it. That's what it means to, by faith, embrace his life and give him mine. And here's something else that that means. It means that when it happens to you, and again, put yourself in what he's just saying here. We are, we are carrying around in our body the death of Jesus. Verse 8, we're hard-pressed. We'll come back to this in a minute. We're hard-pressed. We're perplexed. We're, we're persecuted. We're struck down. Whatever qualifies as that in your life, understand this. It, it, does, it, means, it does not mean that you are in disfavor with God right now. It doesn't mean that you're being punished for something right now. It doesn't mean that it's a random act in the world right now. It doesn't mean you've been abandoned by Him. That what you, which you are under, that which is causing that in your life is under careful monitoring by one who controls it and says, I am doing that purposefully, I'm allowing it purposefully, and what I'm going to do is manifest my power so that when the world sees how good I am, when the world sees what I can do, even in clay pots, when they see the treasure, it just pops out. We're not discarded or used up, and that's what these these verses are going to do. Now, verses 8 and 9 are fairly famous, and they're well known, and they almost sound like poetry, but here's here's what we're going to... On the left, you'll see the, the words that are first used that says, here's what we feel. On the right is what he's going to say is still true. So you get in verse 8, and he says, we're hard-pressed on every side. That, that word hard-pressed, the, the word entails pressure. Anybody here feeling pressure right now in life? Hard, hard pressure. There is deep pressure on us. There's, there's a weight of demand on somebody. I feel like I'm never getting a break. If that's what you feel, that's what that description is. The second word there is perplexed. The word actually means to be confused or deeply, deeply disappointed. You can't figure this out. If you've been in a position where you say, I thought it was different when you were around God. I thought he did things differently than this. I thought it would be better than that. Or where is God? I'm calling out and I'm confused. I don't see anything happening in my life. I don't see him coming through for me. I don't see intervention. I'm perplexed. That's what that word means. The third word there is persecuted, which literally means to be pursued and hunted down. You get singled out for who you are or what you believe or the direction or, or something what's true in your life. You get singled out for criticism. You get singled out for mistreatment. You get mocked. That's what that word means. The fourth word that's translated struck down actually is the reference is like by a weapon. Like, like somebody took a shovel to your head. Like somebody attacked you and, and literally knocked you down. One translator says it means to get whacked. You pay a real price for where you're going. It costs you. It costs you money. It costs you relationship. It costs you position or your health. All those things on the left, he says, all those things are true of us. All of them. You hear people on the, if you want to, you can go watch television and tell people how you got the bless. you want the blessing of God and you got, you deserve the blessing of God in your life. You know what? Paul doesn't believe that. He says, no, this is what's true about us. We carry around those conditions. And then he uses this Greek, Greek word, which is the word ook, which is actually a very, very strong negative, contrasting word. It's what we put up there, but it says, but by no means. 
And the things on the right are the contrasting things to say, the things on the left are true. But understand that when God has got somebody in a position, there's something that absolutely is not true of them. They may feel the things on the left, but what's on the right is not going to be by no means true. One translator, pardon me, I'm just going to quote him because I think it's very effective. He says, the way, the, the way this is, he, you understand this? He goes, you could say it this way, hard-pressed, yes, but crushed, hell no. Okay, with that? Is it okay that I said that? <laughs> Quoting. Felt good to say, though. <laughs> By no means is that true. And here is what is coming up on that other list. The word they're crushed needs to be permanently ruined. I feel the pressure, but I'm not permanently bent out of the shape that I was intended to have. Merrill Tenney, who was a Greek scholar, loved some of his stuff, passed away now. He had some translations that never got translated in, in Bibles, but I like some of them. And for this one, he says that the whole hard-pressed but not crushed, he says, it's, he puts it this way, I'm squeezed but not squashed. The second word, in despair. Same word he used in chapter 1, verse 8, when he says, we have felt the feelings of this, uh, we felt we were close to despair, close to feeling like there's no hope, no way out, no future. But we are never to that place. That is never true. Because God is behind this. He knows what he's doing with this. The third word, abandoned, means be left completely alone, just like it says. It, it, it means that God isn't anywhere. Now, I've had plenty of times in my life, and I bet you have too, plenty of times. Some of you may be feeling it right now, where you question, is all this made up? Is this just the concoctions of humanity because we need religion in our lives? Because I sure don't see evidence of God going on right now in my life. Paul says, here's what God does. He brings you to a place where you get persecuted. You feel like you get in trouble. But understand, by no means have you been abandoned. And the last one, we've been persecuted, but not, and the word is destroyed. It is not a mortal wound that will take us out of God's care. It is not unrecoverable. Tenney again said, he put it this way, knocked down, but not knocked out. If you, today, walked in here, and you may not have let people know, maybe people in your cell group know, maybe nobody knows, but you walk in here, and some of that stuff on the left is hammering you. You don't understand it. You don't know what's going on with it. You hear God say this, that when his hand is on his children, this is a way he works. And that may be true, but God is purposeful and intentional behind it. But by no means have you been abandoned. By no means is this permanent. By no means do you have cause to be completely, have no hope about it. Verse 12 says, so then, here, here's a moment where Paul's going to zig when we thought he was going to zag. So then, death is at work in us. Okay, we got that. Death is at work in us. Death blows. You're absorbing death blows. And here's what I expect him to say. But life is at work in us. But he doesn't say that. So death is at work in us. But life is at work in you. It's 
God is, going, God is pa- passing his power through you, but the purpose of that is still not about making you strong. A day will come when the faithful will be rewarded. A day will come when all wrong will be made right. But it isn't necessarily now. Here's another. Kate Hughes, who, who, a pastor and author who I like, and I quoted him once before, he, he says this. It's humbling to accept that Paul's declaration but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power of God belongs to God and not us, is not a formula for our power. The equation for power is my weakness plus God's power equals God's power. It's humbling to hear that all my acknowledgement of weakness will not make me strong. Embracing weakness leads more to more weakness. But, he says, it is also so beautiful and so liberating to know that God's power in our lives does not come from our pursuit of power. How wonderful to know that we have this treasure in jars of clay. We can bless God for the powerful resiliency that he brings. So there's a couple of implications of this in, in our lives. This is where I hope you can bring it right home to where you're living now and where I live now. Here's some things that are true implications. When we grasp this, there are a couple of things that are true. We're going to go back to verses 2 and 3 to see 1, one 2, and 3. Here's one of the implications. Because that is true. Paul says here, the implication is we don't sell out. Look at verse 2. We have, verse 1 says, we have this ministry, don't lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Because we know that's true, when things get hard, when things get pushed back on us, when people don't, when we don't even see effectiveness to what we're trying to do, we don't decide, well, we've got to make the gospel more palatable. Well, we've got to make it more attractive. We've got to make it more impressive. We don't back down for what God has said and who God is and His way, even if it's not well responded to. This week, Christians in our nation have been called bigots. We've been called ignorant. I heard people say there is no middle ground. Anybody who would say that this one particular issue that comes up, anybody who would say, oh, you've got to embrace that issue, anybody who would say that that's not right, there's something wrong with them. Now, I get it. A lot of damage has been done. And I'm not here to stand in judgment of everybody, but you know what? Doggone it. If God says it, then I'm going to accept it. I'll say I'm going to accept it and I'll teach it. And you can accuse me of being unkind or ungracious. I don't think it's true. But that's one of the, but that, that's one of the costs that comes from saying, let God be called true and every man a liar. If, it doesn't matter what popular opinion is. It doesn't matter. If God has designed us a certain way, To say God has designed us a certain way, this is the way he made us, is representing what's true, and I'm not going to change it. i got to tell you, if I lose my job because of that, then so be it. And I'm not trying to be noble in front of you. I'm just trying to say that's the implication of saying that the, the packaging that God has me in is not about how impressive I am or how many people I can gather around me or how many people would, would say, oh, yeah, listen to him because it's right. God is right. Tom isn't the one who's right. God is right. He has a design in life. His way is right. And my job is to say, stand and hold to it. So Paul says, 
we will renounce secret and sinful ways. He's referring to the other people from Corinth who are saying, oh man, we got people over here who are just, they're doing all kinds of cool stuff in the name of God. You got to do what they're doing. He goes, that's not how God works. We're going to renounce that. Not out of anger, not out of judgment, just because we are going to stand with what God says. His message is true regardless who accepts it, regardless what kind of feedback I get from it. Here's the second implication. And he says it twice. For one, in verse, one time in verse 1 and again in verse 14. We'll see more next week. Since through God's mercy we have this ministry, this is what he says, we, put yourself in this, we do not lose heart. Verse 14, he repeats the same exact phrase. Because we know that the that he raised Jesus from the dead. We don't lose heart. It's verse 16. Here's, here's what God says. He'll go on to say this in verse um, 16. God weakens us. He'll create the contrast. And then he'll renew us daily. He'll give us enough to get us through. He'll renew us. To, he'll keep you in the game. We don't lose heart because the value of what is true about God through Jesus Christ is not gauged by what the opinion polls say or how quickly people respond to it or the person you think of who you would love to see come to him comes to him anytime soon. It's truth. It's relevancy. It is not gauged on that response. And because of that, there's a reason not to lose heart, to not give up on it, to stay on the path. If you are following Jesus Christ, this is going to be true of you. It already is, I'm sure. You are absorbing death blows. They come in various forms and at various times. As you represent Jesus, those things are going to be true of you. What that means is that you have been selected as a clay pot. You've been selected to be a carrier of a treasure that can't fit in you that you have no business carrying. But you've been selected. And because you're selected, you are never abandoned. You're under constant surveillance. You're being cared for and provided for. He's going to renew the you to be in a position where you can continue to be just weak enough so that His glory will show through you. You're carrying... You're becoming a canvas on which He paints an amazing picture Know that. Let him do it. Stay on the path. And his glory grows. Your part in it stays. And the kingdom advances. That's the message. The invitation to us is to present ourselves again and say, nothing but a clay pot. But here I am. Pray with me. For the person in the room, God, who when they saw the word hard-pressed, they thought, that's me right now. We want to ask that you would remind that person that they 
They are not crushed. For the person in the room who understood or felt it when we talked about being perplexed, having doubts and uncertainty, deeply disappointed even in you and confused, would you rush to them to help them know that they are not in a place of despair where there's no hope? For the person in the room who is being persecuted, singled out because of who they are, what they believe, criticized, mistreated, would you rush to their side even now to let them know they have never been and never will be abandoned? And for that person who just feels like they have been struck down, they have been wounded deeply, pray that you would remind them that they have not been destroyed, that they have a future and a hope, that there is a recovery ahead, that this wound is not a mortal wound. In the room, would you find people who are willing to say, if this is how you do it, for your glory, I trust you. And we're ready for you to continue to keep us weak, knowing that you'll sustain us, so that the, the message of the love of Jesus, the hope that he gives, the eternal life that's found only in him, that, that message would shine out of us, light out of darkness, treasure in clay pots. Make that so. We pray through him. Amen.